Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Was ist mit dem internationalen Tag des Männes? I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by a man who has punched Corona square in its stupid, ugly face and is now <laughs> standing before us, not just full of vaccine, but also full of antibodies. How are you doing, Simon? Yeah, I'm, I'm nearly done. You made it sound like I've kicked the shit out of this virus, and I'm very thankful for how mild it has been, but it's, it's whooped my ass a little bit, even being boosted yeah. and all that jazz. Yeah, I'm, I'm really thankful that I was able to to get all that shit done before I caught this, because I think without it, I, I would have had a pretty grim time. But yeah, today's like the first day where I haven't felt really quite shit, um, and yeah, I tested positive last Monday. Um, so it's been a solid solid week of it. I'm nearly out of it, and I'm hoping maybe that I might test negative tomorrow. We'll see. COVID shit. It's no fun at all. I'm just trying to sort of inject a, like a bit of Rocky's trainer, Mickey, being constantly positive <laughs> and like, yeah, I mean, the pandemic's kind of suddenly taken a bit of a backseat mm -hmm. uh, to, to news stories, but we'll... We obviously uh, had our week off from recording last week, and we're back, and we're going to talk about the Ukraine. We've got some other topics that we're going to discuss first. So uh, we've we've ticked off your positive test uh, <laughs> of COVID. So let's move on to something else. There's a there's a, a phrase in the script that says "beard compliment," yeah, and I'm not sure if that's a prompt. So just in case <laughs> it is, I'm going to say, "Hey Simon, you've got a." A lovely looking beard. Yeah, I, I, just, I needed you that. Were looking for. <laughs> <laughs> just needed a boost after this week. You don't need to ask. You know. You know. I will just. I'll, I'll I'll compliment your beard if I have an opportunity to. Thank you. It's true. You, you do. You are generous with the beard compliments. But I mean, this is this is the interesting thing. None of the listeners, apart from the, those who know us, know my beard. In, in in a personal sense if you follow us on twitter the, the banner has a picture of your luxurious facial hair so some of those our listeners will know but those who aren't on twitter will not it's interesting because when my wife and i are walking around anywhere people look like it's germany and people like to have a look uh, some people even like to stare my wife said to me the other day I have to sort of get used to the idea that when people are looking at us, they're looking at you because of your beard. I think that was quite a harsh realisation for her to have. That it's not just <laughs> checking out my wife. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're saying basically your beard acts as a decoy for people like staring at your wife. I'm not sure what the balance is, but <laughs> I catch more people staring at my beard than I do staring at my wife. <laughs> but at the same time, because... Privacy is kind of weirdly respected, even though staring's not. It's pretty unusual for for a stranger to say anything about it. We went for a walk the other day down by our local river through the woods, all very very nice. And as we're walking up the hill back to our house, there were a couple of young lads messing around in the street, and one of them had fancy lines shaved into his head, like a like a, a heartbeat or or something shaved. Sort of, they looked like rapscallions. And walked past them. I didn't. I didn't like give them evils or anything. I'm a nice guy. And I got about ten meters away from them. One of them turned around and said, "Coolest bard." And there was a part of me where I was like, "That's that's really nice. That's the first compliment from a stranger I've had in about two years on my beard." Uh, so thank you, young man, wherever you may be. I know. I, I think I know where you live because of, <laughs> there are so many, so few houses on that quiet street. 
Uh, so if I see you again, I might offer you a high five now that I'm safe from Corona. <laughs> I suppose as well, having lived in America, you'll, and, and Americans are a bit more free with their compliments, aren't they? Yeah. They're more likely to compliment your sort of attire. I mean, it got complimented as much as anything else. But I mean, that, my beard, my beard game has upped since we've come back. The whole time in America, I just had a beard, whereas now I have a beard. But yeah, in America, of course, you, you meet people and you can see that they're scanning you for a compliment to give is do a quick check be like oh okay shoes okay jeans whatever i i miss the sort of the over politeness but i also remember quite fondly we were in my local supermarket my safeway and my wife and i were behind a couple who were sorting out their shopping we were talking in german um because i quite enjoyed talking in german with my wife in america because it was like secret language and no one knew what was up and this guy turned around and he looked straight at me and i was just like is he like upset that we're talking in German? He's like, you have the deepest voice. And I was like, oh, you're so sweet. Thank you, darling. <laughs> he just <laughs> didn't know how to process me calling him darling. Um, and I realized that, yeah, that my Britishness <laughs> overtook dramatically. And that was the end of the compliment phase. Um, yeah. <laughs> I felt like there was more compliments. Flow. You don't get many compliments when you're knocking around in, in Britain from random strangers. In fact, I think in Britain, if you were like in a lift or in in a public space and someone complimented you, you'd be like, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. That would yeah. be the sort of British approach. And in Germany, it's practically, I'm trying to think, how many times someone's complimented me on anything? I don't think it's really happened that much. I think in England it's more common to someone to insult you. Like, <laughs> your shoes are shit, mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <From no>. the- <laughs> just like, yeah. To just, to just like randomly insult you as opposed to compliment you. But even like my wife doesn't really compliment. She doesn't say good job a lot, you know. <laughs> That's quite a German trait of sort of. And part of me knows that I don't need it, but part, part I think part of you part you really like wants that affirmation or that confirmation that you're doing the right thing well i've been i've been laying slab paving slabs out the front of the house and my wife was like i think she realized that i probably needed a, a good job and she was in the mm-hmm. kitchen window which is right in front of where i was working and she gave us a thumbs up and i was like yeah like i was <laughs> i was honestly like a mar- markedly like pleased with that good job that I like remembered it distinctly. Yeah, I mean, it speaks to the fragility of the, of the British men. That <laughs> I'm exactly the same. I need <laughs> attaboys. Uh, yeah, exactly. If I don't get them, if I do what I know is a good job and I haven't had an attaboy along the way, I'm upset. <laughs> it was certainly the case when I first moved here that a lot of people would would say like they don't want the American like business culture would be people saying good job, well done when it was unnecessary. And I worked with a lot of people initially whose perception of it was the the best compliment you can get is no feedback. Oh, yeah. Like, there's no negatives and there's no positives. It's just, like, the feedback I get is the money I earn at the end of the month. Yeah. But I think that's changed slightly. I certainly, with, with students, and I'm not sure if you've noticed that with, with the people you're teaching, that they appreciate it when you give them, like, a that's really good that they do like the positive feedback we've talked about feedback in a business context you've done a lot more sort of the intercultural training for quite big companies and i've done a lot more small group who just basically need a confidence boost people just need to be told they're doing well um Mm -hmm. that's what they really need the most like the grammar's there they've got the vocabulary to get them through what they need to do 
But yeah, just telling them, yeah, like, oh, you smashed it today. Like, I'm not a massively positive person as a default, but when I'm working, when I'm training, I am a bastion of of positivity because one of the worst things I think you can do to someone who's learning a language especially is, like, slam them for making mistakes, mm-hmm. especially in a language like English where mistakes can kind of be okay a lot of the time. If it's like, oh, well done, you've just you've accidentally spoke American English, good job. Um, <laughs> I think that's that's fine. It, it, it can be challenging when you're dealing with a, a void of positivity or just negativity just to just to say something i i I don't like that at all i've had people sort of i've said my my german's not very good and they said no it's fine and all you're doing is like buying a a, a brita and you're like it's meaningless (laughs) like this and i should be able to do this interaction but i've never had like a particularly sort of warm commentary on my german skills i often hear from from especially from my family they're like oh your german's really good now yeah compared to where it was when i first met my family yeah it it has come a long way and i am a lot more comfortable but at the same time i know it's not good because i don't know daddy das i don't give a shit about daddy das and all the grammar i just like find workarounds instead of learning it Mm. and i'm fine with that i don't need to have perfect german i just need to be able to communicate to be understood and to understand i'm fine with that uh, maybe it'll change in another 10 years, but for now, it got That reminds me of something that happened on, on Sunday. It was my father-in-law's birthday, and my father-in-law and mother-in-law came over, and the the topic that for the next year is just going to be garden work. Mm. So I'm trying to bring it up in the podcast, but that's like the major mission of this year to get the garden done so he was talk, talk, talking about the garden. He was telling us about ideas we could think about with regards to sort of getting some kind of shade or umbrella in the garden mm-hmm. when it gets sunny. And he was just talking, I was just listening to him, and um, my mother-in-law just stopped him mid-speech. He went, you need, this is all in German, he goes, you need to stop speaking in Schwabish because Nick doesn't understand. And I was only in that moment, it's like, and I stopped her and I said, nein, nein, it's okay, ich verstehe alles here, it's just kind of problem. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't believe I understand everything he's saying like it's occasional words that i'm just like it's probably a really cool adjective that i don't understand <laughs> like the, the essentials which were yeah. like you can get a sunshade and it's made out of this and i was able to ask clarifying questions which is always the indicator that you've understood that's mm. always my indicator is like if i can ask a clarifying question and they don't look at me like i'm crazy um because i've missed something or whatever and i was just really weird i had a moment where i was like oh shit i totally understand <laughs> <laughs> understood all this weird Byrish, Schwabish kind of uh, slang that was being yeah, that's fantastic. Upon good us. job, mate. Have some positivity but, from my side. But the, oh, thank you. I feel <laughs> so good now. So much better. But um, what was the word I said to you the other night that they started using? Ah, yeah, the goggler. Oh, okay, I'm so yeah, yeah. angry about that. A and chicken, was saying, wasn't it? Was that a chicken? Yeah, it's like goggler. They kept going like, oh, we need to get a goggler. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like oh, henshin, and I was like, "Well, why did you say henshin? Like, why did you say goggler? Like, and it was, and it was, I was annoyed on two levels because I was like, I should have known what it was because goggler, like, it's the sound a chicken makes, right? Yeah, kids or yeah, you got if I if you said which animal is a goggler, I'd yeah. probably have gone for like goose. I, I do feel like sometimes they just choose a word of the month that they're going to bring up, like in a non sequitur. So, but either way. I do feel now warm inside, thanks to your uh, compliments. Well, you're welcome. I mean, you've you've certainly got a bigger challenge with your in-laws than I do, um, because my in-laws all speak like pot if they if they're using dialect at all. But it's it's pretty clean, it's pretty easy, and it's sort of like closer to English mm. um, than base German. But I'm sure if I had to spend 
a day talking to your Schwabish family, I would, I'd be struggling because I just don't have the exposure to it. In, in fairness, I'd spent the entire weekend with them mm-hmm. so i sort of like well adjusted by this point yeah but i think it is a steep learning curve certainly between franconia and schwabia there's a lot of a lot of difference uh, in the way they communicate so just getting it right and understanding it's one thing mm. and i think there's yeah there's absolutely there's absolutely no accommodation like people just assume that everyone talks like this which i guess is maybe why people get quite frustrated when bavarians move north because they don't really appreciate how different their communication is from other people around them and it's less a frustration about the people coming from bavaria more frustration about people um people just not understanding (laughs) this sounds like german but it's not it's it's weird to be to live in a region of germany where it's possible that someone will say to you not I'll learn how to speak German, but learn how to speak Frankish. Uh, learn how to speak yeah. Schwabish if you want to do business here. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. That's that's pretty pretty wild. There's nowhere in the UK where they would say to you, "Come on, man, you're here. You need to learn Geordie." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You it doesn't exist the in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> but my neighbours uh, from Sudtirol, I can't remember if she's German or she was from Sudtirol and moved here and then moved back. Anyway speaking to her i'm lost like i have oh, no really? one like okay. she'll talk and, and and my wife understands but i have no not the foggiest idea what what's being said to us it's so difficult to break down it's funny to the ear because it sounds a bit swiss german yeah and italian mixed together so it's quite it's quite an experience to engage in a conversation with a, a Sudtirolian. that sort of mountain german and mm-hmm. i remember my, my first ever teaching gig in england i had uh, I was doing an, an, an IELTS course for kids who wanted to go to university in the UK. I had like 40% were German, another 40% were Swiss German, and then I had a few other other nationalities peppered in. And the looks on the faces of the Germans when the Swiss Germans were talking to each other, they were just like, what is that? What, is what are yeah, they yeah. doing? Um, yeah. And that made me realise that, yeah, Switzerdeutsch and Deutsch, they're not. <laughs> not that compatible at all and then you've got austrian german on top of that which is a whole different bag yeah my first time skiing in the mountains with my wife we went to a bar and the barman was like asking us what we wanted to drink and i was just like what what language did he just speak to us <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's austrian it's like, what <laughs> it's austrian baby <laughs> Do you know what time it is, Simon? No. I believe it's uh, kebab o'clock because you've got two kebab updates that you want to get. It's me. a double header of kebab news, which is the best kind of kebab news. Decades from home, your favourite kebab cast. What are you going to tell us about kebabs there, Simon? Well, I mean, the main thing to report is that last week was the British Kebab Awards. If I hadn't been sick, I would have been talking about it <laughs> live as they happened. Um, but I can inform our good listeners that if you do decide to go to London, the winner of the best kebab house in the capital is called Best Turkish Kebab East Ham, which is on Barking Road in East Ham. Yeah, winners of the 2022 British Kebab Awards. Uh, I've been to their website and it looks magnificent. And there is not a single review on tripadvisor.de. So there is also an opportunity to be the first Germans to write a review about this award-winning kebab house it's funny the categories they've got they've got best kebab restaurant regional mm-hmm. uh, best kebab restaurant in south and east london yep. best kebab restaurant in north and west london best kebab house in wales in scotland in northern ireland best newcomer best takeaway in london 
best takeaway regional. It feels a very London-centric kebab experience. Yeah, I mean, if you want a good kebab, London is sort of the, the centre. I mean, obviously, there were, there were good kebab houses in every city of the UK. There's, there's no doubt about that. But the centre of really excellent foreign food in the UK is London. If you want the best curry in the UK, you go to Brick Lane. And it turns out if you want the best kebab, you go to East Ham. I mean, it looks like a kebab. I don't know what I was really expecting, to be honest. <laughs> I kind of feel like it's a little bit of an oxymoron, but maybe that's just me with my German German sensibilities. What do you win? Just prestige? Yeah, massive prestige. I mean, there are celebrities, and I, the reason I know about this uh, is that James O'Brien uh, of LBC fame, he, he's he gone for the last couple of years, and he's sort of a bit of a guest of honour. And yeah, MPs and the like all go and support this this, this fantastic industry that is kebab houses. Isn't, is there a food that's less photogenic than kebab? <laughs> I've never seen a good photo of a kebab. I've never seen a photo of a kebab where I'm like, hmm, that's the kebab I want. Even when you go into a kebab place and they've got the pictures of the food, I try not to look at it because it might put me off. <laughs> I mean, I did post when we talked about pineapple in kebabs, the Hawaiian kebab uh, travesty, I think we can call it. I, did, I was able to find a fantastic looking photo of a kebab with pineapple. But yeah, obviously that was staged. It wasn't a real kebab, I guess. I just always think that, I mean, if taking photos of food is notoriously difficult. I just think the kebab, if I was like a food photographer and you're like, oh, I've got the kebab contract from the shawarma king. <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, this is going to be hours of work trying to make it not look like a plate of sick. It's the judges, there are some there's some seriously important people. I say James O'Brien of LBC, uh, he's one of the judges. There are multiple MPs, uh, including uh, Nadine uh, Zahawi, uh, who's yeah not exactly a great role model for telling the truth but i'm sure he can judge a kebab <laughs> no this is the best kebab and then he gets the next one this is the best kebab <laughs> he gets the next, this is the best kebab. world beeped <laughs> kebab here. yeah just lying his ass off all the way through it be it's, it's weird like all the parties are represented the smp have a judge uh the tories labor have a couple um i can't see a lib dem one off the top of my head here um there's even Americans. Matt Brown, a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress in Washington, D.C., is a judge this year. <laughs> it just seems like it's a job for the boys, right? Sharon Hodgson, MP for Washington and Sunderland West. So Why, uh, why, are, they, why, are, they, why are they all uh, MPs rocking up and politicians? It's a, it's a free dinner, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? It's like, oh, well, we use my opportunity anyway. Um, so that was the British Kebab Awards. But there's another bit of kebab update that you want to give us. Yeah, the, sec- the second half is that uh, regular listeners or listeners will know that I was giddy with excitement that a kebab house was opening on my on the corner of my street, and I'm happy to say that Everest is open, and I have I've climbed the summit. <laughs> I was so hoping you were going to say that. I was like, please <laughs> let him say he's climbed, he's climbed to the heady peaks of yeah kebab i've seen from from the top and yeah i can report that i'm pretty happy it's not the cheapest uh so a dona is five euros and a durham is six so not the cheapest but also not the most expensive and the, the thing that's been a real sort of revelation is because they're in a new company and they haven't really advertised very well the sign on the outside of the building facing the road that all drivers see is still the one from the pizza company before them and they need to change that and let let the good people know that there is kebab availability there but because of limited number of customers so far i had a durham the other night and it was the crispiest 
crunchiest, or oh, most delicious uh, meat. Uh, so it, it was it was really really good. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm very happy. So Everest kebab, good job. Keep it up, and I have got a loyalty card now, which I've never had for a kebab house. So I've just got to get six more, and then I get a free kebab. How many more? Six more. I'm already. I've already had four kebabs. Bloody well, me, hell. me, and the wife. It's not just me. That's a commitment to the kebab yeah. industry. I, I do not want this business to close. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a very loyal customer. Yeah, I'm looking forward to when I come over and we can have. Yeah, yeah. we can have a kebab. Totally. So my, my wife's got this thing where she just insists on celebrating every anniversary that we've ever had. So we have like 75 per year. Yeah. Um, what was it it was in february it was the um anniversary of us of us getting together and she was like let's go for a kebab and we went to this really good kebab place and it's right next to a mcdonald's and it was just loads of people queuing for the mcdonald's and i was just like suckers yeah. you don't know how what the good thing you're missing we went and i mean it's solid it's just solid real really nice but i had the i think i had the falafel and my god that's a discipline like the, it was a sit down place and i think that's the problem is I didn't think about it until I got it and I s- sat down and there was no spicy element to it. It was just like mm. a falafel with some, what was it, like Greek yogurt or something. And, okay. it, and it was just, it was, that was a very disappointing experience. I think you've got to be very, very careful about where you, how you order. I think next time I'll just be like, Erster Ding, Zeshaf bitter. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can be, can be pretty disappointing here. When I lived in Bournemouth, there was a place called Falafel King that I used to go to, and their falafel was incredible. It was moist and delicious. But a lot of falafel here is like, it's treated like a vegetarian alternative and just not really yeah. done with much love or care. Um, spice blends can be a little bit poor. It can be quite dry. You've learned your lesson. I haven't. What I what I normally do if, if the wife and I get in kebabs, we get a kebab each and then a falafel to share. And I, I quite like that. Just a little bit of falafel is a good thing. I like. I'd like one that's a combination of both. That would be the the optimum. I'm sure that can be arranged. I'm sure if you ask nicely. Yeah, I think I will next time. Just be like, yeah. see what happens. Might blow their minds with my ingenious <laughs> self made kebab skills. Yeah. Uh, what else is on the agenda? Oh, it's just, I almost forgot entirely. And that would be typical of two men, of course, <laughs> to forget International <laughs> Women's Day. Yeah, so it's today is International Women's Day, which means lots of companies are out there tweeting their support for International Women's Day. Yep. It's like the the one of the sort of apex celebrations of on social media where every account is tweeting something about this and this year it's been made slightly more interesting by the fact that some clever bugger has come up with the gender pay gap bot that i don't know how i I was thinking about how they must have programmed it i'm sure there'll be some some interesting articles in the coming days explaining it but i think it's definitely like a if that if this then that kind of thing where it's Mm -hmm. essentially uh retweeting companies that tweet out like the hashtag International Women's Day or I think use the phrase and it retweets out the gender pay gap in that company. So there's just been loads of companies that have just been totally rinsed. There's one I saw today and it was saying like, yeah, we support all the women who work in our in our company and it had the retweet said this company's gender pay gap is 40 the the, the gender pay gap between men and women is something like 40 percent difference <sighs> the men were getting 40 percent more than the women i was just like oh that's embarrassing for you but not at all surprising but yeah i just loved that that made me really really happy to see it's, it's been great it's been really, really good to see. It's, it's definitely a quick follow on that bot. Uh, I look forward to next year. Um, be a lots of companies have deleted and then 
rewritten tweets without the hashtag to avoid getting caught yeah. by the bot. I mean, there, there have been a handful of companies where it's worked quite well, where we've seen either a tiny, tiny margin between the two, or even in some cases, women being paid more on average than men. And of course, this is a, a very nice opportunity for these companies to actually show they do practice what they preach not a lot of those companies though no and it's troubling that a lot of universities and hospitals and places where you would assume there'd be a moral <laughs> element is not like pure capitalism um, have fallen prey to the bot uh, revealing massive discrepancies in in equality of pay so yeah I've just skimmed the first few tweets that are on there and we've got a Hopwood Hall College and University Centre which has a women's median hourly median hourly pay is 17.4% lower than men's. Mm-hmm. We've got Access Hollywood. In this organisation, women's median hourly pay is 23.2% lower than men's. The Cleveland Police, which is 20.6% lower than men's. And this, you will enjoy this, Daily Express. In this organisation, women's median hourly pay is 22.5% lower than men's. Do you want to know that tweet that the Daily Express has, has been caught, <laughs> caught by? Amanda Holden, 51, flashes toned tummy in skin-tight outfit for International Women, Women's Day. So it's like it's like a, oh. cluster, a clusterfuck there. <laughs> Clearly a tweet written by a bloke oh. um, focusing on an aspect of, of uh, a famous woman's appearance and then it's being and her age oh yeah of course (laughs) jesus christ i mean it's not a huge surprise from the express but fuck me fuck that shit but yeah so this this gender bot is really doing god's work out there i think taking down some of these groups i think it's also and and i think we'll talk a bit about this when when we talk about the ukraine social media does have this issue of just sort of essentially virtue signaling tweets there's a lot of that especially from big companies who are saying oh we're part of this too don't forget us and i think it's the complaint a lot of people have with when it comes to gay pride and you get like mm-hmm. price waterhouse coopers have got a gay pride float and uh every, everyone's sort of getting in on the action <laughs> so oh, we, we're, we're proud of our gay employees too today but not tomorrow um so yeah i think it's i think it's kind of it's good when you see in the the big dogs getting a getting a bloody nose yeah more of these kinds of bots i think <laughs> anything that just calls out bullshit from companies tweeting out any sort of as you mentioned virtue signaling bots lead the lead the path on this please yeah more bots please good bots not bad bots good yeah. bots. bots that enroll long threads and uh hold power to account they're the kinds of yeah. bots that i enjoy i also really enjoy the um labor case bot that Whenever I tweet about Labour case, it retweets me. It's only got like 63 <laughs> followers, but uh, it's my friend. I'm following it. So, listeners, obviously last week we stepped back to sort of get our heads straight a little bit um, with regards to everything that's happening in, in Ukraine at the moment. Been a, it's been a fucking weird couple of weeks. <laughs> Um, for, for us outside Ukraine, God knows what it must be like for those who are uh, still in Ukraine and those who are, who are fleeing the war zone. I think by, by my count, I'd seen something like, is it 4 million refugees? Are we at 5 million refugees? I think yeah. it was saying that I listened to a podcast this morning and it said that it's the largest movement of refugees this century. So yeah, there's, there's a massive humanitarian crisis as it stands. Uh, today, uh, as of recording, there have been ceasefires um, agreed and broken, apparently, by Russia. The claims by the Ukraine government that the the routes that were 
meant to allow civilians to escape have been fired upon and the, mined and mined as well i mean that's just horrific um, apparently two million people have fled ukraine since the war began less than two weeks ago there was a quite um well i mean sort of saying quite impressive is is, is kind of redundant at this point um president zelensky has addressed the house of commons and mps in the, the house of commons Via video. And the House of Lords as well. And the House the of Lords. foreign leader to ever be allowed to do so. And uh, he gave a very passionate speech referencing uh, Churchill. The guy knows his audience for sure. And he referenced <laughs> uh, Churchill in the, um, we will fight them in the forests and in the streets, I think he said. Yeah. Day by day, he just becomes more and more an impressive character. And it's even more impressive when you consider that a lot of what I've listened to and read about Ukraini- Ukrainians who have stayed have often said, oh, I didn't vote for him, but yeah, we're totally with him, you know. I don't know I don't know about you, mate. I mean, it's sort of taken up a large part of my thought process on a daily basis. I'm spending a lot more time sort of checking summaries and feeds for live information. And obviously social media's alight with hot takes. There's been plenty of hot takes. There's been some really useful and I think helpful information shared, but there's been a lot of people who have been sort of mouthing off as well. How have you been feeling I talked a little bit last week about how I was feeling. How how you've been feeling? It's hugely distressing, and obviously, Ukraine is not a far and distant land in relation to where where we call home. Like it feels close, and we know Ukrainians. Like this is this is very very real. But also because of the fact that I was I was sick. And having like bad dreams through through Corona, like for the first three nights, I had dreams about Ukraine and Russia, and I realised that I, I I didn't have the capacity to to be as on the ball as I normally would be in this kind of situation. So I had to take a step back and and not look at social media, not read the news for a couple of days because it was it was permeating my subconscious and. I mean now I'm 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 feeling better in, in a couple of ways, so it makes it easier to sort of stay uh up to speed with us. But yeah, it's it's challenging because every now and again you need a positive element of the story and obviously Zelensky offers that. But I saw something last night that made that made me feel a little bit better and also sort of speaks to the a hope that sort of obviously not all Russians know the truth because they've been subject to propaganda for generations now but i saw a, a prisoner of war from the russians and he was talking about how when he realized the ukrainian boxers were like fighting like the klitschko brothers uh lomachenko who is arguably the greatest pound for pound fighter on the planet today left his his million dollar home in california and has come back to fight um for the ukraine it made him realize this russian prisoner of war that they weren't liberators. These are people who wanted to fight for their country, and it is inspirational in many ways, the the dedication and the fortitude of Ukraine and Ukrainians. But it's really, it's, it's hugely distressing. God willing, they continue to do as well as they're doing, and the Russian war machine falls on its fucking ass. It's for those of us on the sidelines, we've been battered with information, and I think a lot of these massive global events like the pandemic, like this war creates this environment where everyone's talking about it and it can almost be like 
a thousand voices in your head just sort of when you go on social media screaming things You've, you're sort of looking for reliable information and mm. i've been i've been following uh john sweeney raw on twitter yeah. he's a former bbc journalist who's over in kiev yet uh, at the moment mm. things like that have been really useful getting actual reliable information because what's what's been a factor in all of this is obviously there's there's Russian disinformation, but again, what I've been reading a lot of stuff has said that actually Ukraine and and the West in general have really understood how to undermine the um, attempts by Russia to spread disinformation because that's kind of how they operate is just muddying the waters constantly. Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting was the fact that there's been a lot of comments about how refugees carrying cats and dogs have been a massive part of this sort of strategy that, that mm. but not necessarily that it was coordinated but the fact that seeing people carrying animals or trying to escape with their pets has like a universal impact on people who are pet owners um and that was that's been a really interesting sort of tidbit when it regards to it's quite complex environment where twitter is or social media in general is part of the, the strategy for whole like nations that's been quite intense but it's just been like the imagery man like the mm-hmm. I, I don't think i was not that i was a heartless fucker before but like i think certainly having kids is like it's made it's made really hard to see any kids like in distress yeah. just like instantly just sort of upset you um because especially just like little kids who have, have no idea what the fuck they're doing and no no reason to understand it there's an image there was an image that, that i can't actually look at it, like made us cry when i saw it. it was it was an image of a dad saying goodbye to his his kids it was yeah. just a, a picture of him and he put them on a train and one of the little kids one of his little kids had given him i think like an ambulance and he's like holding the ambulance oh, i just makes this it just makes this tear up just thinking about it. but it's like it's the the nature of it in the sense of the size of and i think someone had said someone uh, again i was listening to was saying that because there was talk about nuclear weapons it just scares the shit out of people and people don't really know how to deal with it and so they end up having to talk about it because it's so massive and, and and terrifying but i think it's like the human element all the way through it's just been like all these images of just like normal people normal people carrying kalashnikovs as they take their kids to bunkers you know that kind of stuff yeah. and it becomes very it's very real a very visceral sort of feeling when you see when you see those images and i think um that's quite shocking i also understand as well dilly's been talking about this online but um plenty of others too the difference in reception for egyptian or african students who've been studying in ukraine trying to get out yeah and that's a whole thing as well and i think that's yeah. something that I, I sort of addressed last week but there's been more and more stories of of people there was a, a story of students non-ukrainian refugees coming from ukraine who were at a polish train station and they got attacked by far-right polish thugs and and it's just like fucking hell how fucking wrong do you have to be how much of a wrong do you have to be to be like this, these are refugees but i'm gonna attack them anyway you know it's just there's so many there's so many strands there's so many elements there's the high political element there's the human element there's the social media element and i, I think i can understand why you would step away from it because i think it's quite a lot for for even those people who are not really directly involved in the situation, but have obviously affected by it. COVID has affected a lot of people's ability to think clearly. And like COVID brain 
is definitely something. And my my capacity just to deal with things has been restricted this week. It was just it was just all a bit too much. And as you say, the, the uh, yeah, crying at things you see isn't something that happens to me particularly often on social media. But I today um, I saw a tweet. Um, I think the caption was something along the lines of "This is what we do in bunkers when they're bombing us from the skies," and it was a Ukrainian woman playing violin. Oh God, yeah, like that, yeah, like five notes, and I was just immediately teared up. It was so emotional. It's really put so, so powerful images. <sighs> yeah, yeah, and I, obviously we we have been indoctrinated ourselves as British people about like the Blitz and like hiding from bombs and the blitz spirit and all that mm. kind of stuff. But this is the first time in our lifetimes where we've like had sort of the social media window to see what it's actually like, like people in in underground stations in Kiev with their pets and babies being born and mm. the reality of it. People getting married as well. It seems like there's like a yeah, proposal. Yeah, like soldiers getting married. Oh, that was, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's all... It hits really, really hard. Like I just hope that the response from other nations to support Ukraine in its fight and those fleeing continues to be good. But at the same time, it's hugely embarrassing at the moment to be British because our our response, especially to dealing with migrants, uh, refugees, has just been disgusting. And like I'm, I'm embarrassed. Yeah about what the British government is doing at the moment. I'm, I'm sickened and I'm hugely proud of seeing the footage of what's going on at train stations all over Germany mm-hmm. where people are opening up their homes to people mm-hmm. who are in desperate need and seeing the fucking Home Office tweeting out that we're the first nation to create this kind of visa scheme. It's like you're the only fucking nation yeah. requiring visas at this point in time. It's... It's just so disheartening. But like how the pandemic, how the pandemic sort of it, it showed a lot of the the holes in society and the holes in government as well with regards to sort of how medical procurement works or how prepared a country is for these kinds of disasters. I think this has done it in a different way, but more directly with regards to sort of these larger policies. So you saw in the EU the the waving of um, the need for visas for Ukrainian refugees. Even that isn't so hunky-dory because there's a situation where I was listening to something today where it was a British citizen who'd lived in Ukraine, his girlfriend's Ukrainian, and he's in a real bollocks of a problem because the EU has now decided that it'll only be Ukrainian citizens who can yeah. get this three-year uh, visa-free uh, residency in, in the EU which is totally fine, totally reasonable, but obviously at the same time, there's a lot of people who don't have citizenship. And so you had this British guy who he couldn't risk taking his wife to Britain, or his girlfriend to Britain, who's Ukrainian, because she might be told she can't get a visa. And whereas he's only allowed because he's a, uh, not an EU national to stay in. I think he's third in, nation. Yeah, third nation. I think he's in Budapest, so he's only allowed to stay for ninety days, and it's just total fucking chaos. Because, and this is something that James O'Brien pointed out far more clearly, clearly than than I ever could. That 
this is the system working. This is how it's designed to work. It's designed to be, yeah. in the case of Poland... Hostile. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, the, the case of Poland's a great example where you had three... Uh, for three hours, queues of Ukrainian refugees were waiting outside the office. It's in a tiny village in Poland, apparently. Um, they were only allowed in a certain amount of people. There were kids in the queue. There were elderly people in the queue. And the the, the, the whole process is slowed down. They've got outsourced this visa center to some private company, which is the t- typical sort of British approach to things. And just making it the whole thing really fucking difficult all the way through. Mm. I think there's that side of it, that this is how the system is designed to work and it's working, it's working the way they want it to work. But it's the constant fucking... We're global beating. We're the best. We're the greatest. Mm. We're doing this. Look at us. We're world leaders, and it's the constant chest thumping and, and like patting on the back for, for, for issuing. I think at the, this present moment, only three hundred visas. Yeah. We're talking about three hundred people crossing the border every couple of minutes in some places. So, like that looks like fuck all. But they're like beating their chest and saying how great it is. Interestingly enough, there was a um, emergency questions for the Home Office, which should have been attended by the Home Secretary Pretty Patel. But guess what? She sent a junior minister oh. who was. Of course, she did, man. She's not going to stand up and take abuse. She couldn't take it. She couldn't take it because she hadn't got any fucking answers. Contrast that with, as we've mentioned, the EU approach. And um, I talked a bit about this last week about Germany. The word of last week, the watchword was the Zeitenwende, mm-hmm. this totally new approach yeah. to, or totally new Germany. What do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, everything kind of shifted so dramatically in the space of a couple of days. Everything that was previously known and established as being the reality of the next 50 years of German culture and German political culture was just undone. As you mentioned last week with Olaf Scholz, uh, his speech that he was... He'd only told Lindner uh, before about some of his hugely significant decisions. Shows how quick and sort of, not impulsive, but how reactionary and, and how sort of dynamic this was. So, yeah, everything's kind of changed in Germany. In this, and the support among the people has changed with it. This isn't just the government reacting, thinking this is the right thing to do, we're going to do it. Uh, against the will of the people like a, a nation that has been terrified of uttering the word war for generations is now in a position where it can acknowledge the fact that the time is is right for these things to happen and so yeah the we are seeing armed support for the ukraine a boost in def- massive boost in defense spending new commitment to nato uh strengthening of energy security a little bit more on that in a minute because that's one of the most problematic elements here and of course the sanctions against russia so germany has really has changed its own rule book in many ways and it's really encouraging to see because sort of taking the time to debate the merits hither and thither of all this stuff um would have just been a waste of time uh literally a waste of time not a, a waste of resources but the time was so pressing um so yeah all of these sort of pillars of German foreign policy have just like been replaced and shattered. And yeah, we were definitely living in an interesting time of German politics. We, we maybe find some time later uh, in the year to talk about this in more detail, but there's a book called why the Germans do it better, which is a mm-hmm. quite inflammatory title, but yeah. by um, John Kampfner. And there's a section on it about foreign policy. And, and, and he says that he believes that Germany needs to, 
to 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 sort of do more on the on the foreign stage and 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 to be a, a bigger actor when it comes to foreign policy because Merkel's government was very much uh, took a back seat to a lot of sort of big foreign policy decisions often looking for consensus rather than making any unilateral decisions and i think the decision to reinvest in the military is definitely a unilateral decision yeah uh, motivated by by reality and i think that was the thing that got us is i got really angry actually because and, and i tweeted about this last week because there was an ex-berliner uh, magazine monthly mm. magazine uh, that had put an article which was, was fucking disgusting. It was a really badly researched article, really like poorly grasping uh, a sort of counter argument to look a little bit contrarian, it seemed to me at least. But it said something along the lines of like, oh, Putin's bad, but the real enemies are warmongers like uh, Schultz, Lindner, and Baerbock. And I was just, I lost my rag when I read, read that because I was just like, you do not understand how how much it must have taken to make this decision. Mm -hmm. Because I think for those of us who come from America or Britain, military is baked in uh, identity yeah. in a way that it's not in Germany. And um, I think it's a much more considered and pra pragmatic decision. How that decision plays out with regards to um, companies that are producing arms because i must be licking their lips at the idea of big government contracts and waste is always an issue so i'm hoping they're as pragmatic about their spending as they are about the ultimate decision to do it it is a a total sea change it's a total difference yeah. total like to be investing we had like i said last week we had Scholz um announcing this re re investment in in the bundeswehr you had uh bearbox standing up talking about how we're gonna have to restart nuclear power stations mm -hmm. bearing in mind she was the leader of the green party during the camp uh, the election campaign last year and then you had linda announcing a, a famously sort of spendthrift politician announcing a hundred billion loan to reinvest in, uh, in, in into rearming the Bundeswehr or rebuilding the Bundeswehr. So it was, it was a lot of change in what was essentially a couple of hours. Yeah. Um, and it, again, very pragmatic, very sensible given the situation. I think it's a, it's a acknowledgement that this isn't a temporary situation. This is a long-term situation. There was also the death of Nord Stream yeah. two as well. I mean, that was already <laughs> like, on the cards. Like I think at this point, it, yeah. it was, it was, it was already a popular choice among everyone, really. There are very few people who are sort of pro Nord Stream 2, but the fact that it was killed in a sort of like a swathe of, of epically huge changes that have massive financial, political repercussions. Yeah, it's all, it's all very much changed here. It's, it's pretty pretty bizarre the realization that the green parties what the green party was saying through the campaign last year was actually 100 percent correct in the point of uh, they were saying that more investment in green energy would make germany more secure when it was regards to its relations yeah. with russia and that it wasn't just a hippy dippy kind of approach to yeah. to the future of, of energy in germany it was that there was actually a very hard realization to be made sadly i think <laughs> For, for this situation, it isn't just, um, there isn't just good political actors on the scene. There's this bad political actors. We've talked about Britain, but I, um, found a video that was being made by, uh, Tobias Hans, who is the minister president for Saarland. And he made a, a video standing in front of a, ga a gas station, a tankersteller in his, in his constituency. And he's calling for some kind of 
price bremser for 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 gas because it's it's not just affecting what is it said it's not it was some line i think someone had written about it's not just affecting poor people it's affecting the middle classes now you know <laughs> and it's just like oh well, boo-hoo for the middle classes i didn't realize he was a politician when i saw that video yeah yeah it's just it's just really really daft trying to maybe muscle in and 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 Again, it's it's one of these things where as soon as in these CDU, of course, as soon as um, there's like a hint that something might affect the middle class, there's a CDU politician going, "Oh, well, well we should do something about this." And you're like, well, "What about <laughs> the what about all the time you were in bloody government, you bunch of bellends?" Yeah. So um, there is there is there is that too, and and there's also the the fact that there's a lot of uh, push now for Germany to fully block oil exports uh, imports from russia and um whether that will happen i don't know yet well i mean schultz at the moment has said no but i saw a tweet this evening which, which is pretty interesting where apparently i don't have the source for this handy um but if you search for christian odendahl on twitter he's, he's yeah, tweeting yeah. about from the, from the says, uh, guardian yeah he says some very clever German economists have looked at Schultz's claim that stopping Russian energy imports would be too big a risk for the German economy and consumer. Spoiler, baseline GDP loss of 0.3%. Um, that's the lower end. That's like the best case scenario, 0.3. And the worst mm -hmm. case scenario was 3%. Mm -hmm. um, which obviously that, that is billions of euros, but it's not a catastrophic hit to GDP. Uh, especially when you think that they've just committed to a 2% increase um, or spending 2% of GDP on the military. So yeah, this is definitely a viable thing. Of course, it would hurt and it would result in in price rises in fuel and heating yeah. and all those kinds of things that are already happening. Um, and of course, nobody is going to be like, oh yeah, I want more expensive X, Y, and Z. But if it comes down to preserving sort of the safety the, the the national and continental safety of of germany eu then it's certainly a price worth paying um because i think it's 700 million a day mm -hmm. uh goes from the eu to russia in in energy mm -hmm. bills so it's that's a lot of money obviously it's not it's not oligarchs building billion dollar mansions in secret but it's it's a it's a healthy whack I mean, it's not going to be it's not going to be a situation where again and i think this is something that i realized when we were sitting around the dinner table a couple of weeks ago and and, and debating the whether germany should send we should even send weapons to the ukraine mm. and we were all like why the hell are the wait waiting and then minutes later it turned out that they'd started that process and then the next day they would announce this reinvestment in the military so i think things take a bit of time and i think something like this would take a lot of time and yeah. i think Scholz is unlikely to go we're working on it or to give anything away until mm. he's got something to announce which is i think is pragmatic and sensible but there was something i'd read today where it's like it's always the same with the german government they sort of deny 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 and then they do yeah. what what the men to do so it could well be that this is something that happens further down the line um how that impacts sort of prices um, we'll have to wait and see i guess but I mean, as far as German politics goes, this is fast-paced, mm -hmm. dynamic change, and it's as fast as you'll ever get it. Like that is kind of startling, or almost shocking. Um, but it is—it's reassuring to know that it isn't just going to be a matter of endless debate mm -hmm. and spreadsheets and analysis. Mm -hmm. Like when when shit gets wild, 
this government is going to react to it, and that's 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 encouraging for sure. And you, you can always tell when a government's doing really well with a situation, and how serious that 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 is that situation is by how quiet the opposition is. Yeah, and it's very noticeable how the opposition really has nothing to say on on anything really other than be careful with the money um <laughs> yeah. so i think that this could be the making of the the, the coalition uh, yeah absolutely a, like a, I mean, what a baptism to go yeah, through yeah, yeah um, it's quite intense yeah. i mean they thought they were going to have their hands full with corona <laughs> and then mm. yeah the first hundred days of the coalition is going to be the trickiest of any coalition in german history Before we finish this episode, I think it would only be right if we had some levity to round us off. And Nick suggested a topic this week, which we I don't think we've, we've mentioned before when we both talked about how shit our knees are. <laughs> um, but Nick wanted to talk about ski culture, uh, skiing in Germany. So, Nick, you were in the mountains, dear boy. I actually realised it's the first time I'd seen real people skiing. <laughs> so it's those, those fake people skiing. Well, no, or... like, I mean, I'd seen it on TV, right? And I'd, I've never actually seen people skiing down a mountain before what because i've never been skiing i've never been snowboarding it's not something i've ever done when i've got in the mountains it's been in the summer when we're walking so it was it was only when we sort of turned a corner and there was a massive ski slope and there's loads of people in brightly colored outfits <laughs> skiing down it i was like holy shit i've never really seen anyone skiing but that you've skied a lot more than i have and so i've kind of got questions because okay i get the feeling now this this is how I felt, right? This is how I felt at the time of being on like a ski slope with my daughter and my wife and the rest of the family was I think ski culture might be the worst of all the subcultures. <laughs> There's things of it I like the outfits, the outfit the bright colors and it's very fun and it looks like everyone's having a a great time, but my experience one to one with various individuals who were skiers or snowboarders snowboarders less so skiers definitely was they are some of the most stuck up impolite unself-aware people that i've ever i've only ever had that experience with people in airports (laughs) that was my feeling i've only had this level of or this lack of self-awareness this lack of, of just general decency my daughter is almost two years old she walks well but i mean she's small and we put her on a sled and she was the cutest looking thing in the world and we're pulling her behind (laughs) us because there's a little kid's slope that we're going to push her down on a sled and she'd go wee knock (laughs) knock um and there was just skiers just bombing towards us and it was, it was like a thing on the autobahn where people are like, well, I'm allowed to drive at 180, yeah. so get out of my way. And it was kind of like, can you not just accept the reality that in this present moment, I'm walking along with a small child and you're going to have to slow down? Like, I'm not walking in your way. I'm not walking across the middle of the piste. It's right at the bottom where the queue is and you're just bombing towards us and then at the last minute turning. Yeah. It's the point where I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit one of these people intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if I break my hand. I hope I break their legs, you know. And it was really like that. It was a moment on on the Sunday where there was this little kid's ski slope, as I mentioned, and they had this ridiculous little like conveyor belt that would take them up uh-huh. 
to the top of this tiny hill, like Google, like proper little client, uh, small thing, right? My wife has a back to it. There's no one else around. There's no one queuing for it. There's no one waiting for it. It was quite quiet. And she sort of got a hold of my daughter and I was walking over to get her something. And she turned around to face the conveyor belt and this guy, like a big bloke on a snowboard, like there's a tiny space between her and the start of the conveyor belt and he just slides into that space and yeah. stands there doesn't acknowledge her doesn't say anything and takes like starts taking off his board and i'm like there's space all around for him to stop this place yeah. he can, and he stops there and i'm just like like i'm gonna hit this motherfucker <laughs> that sort of <laughs> fella is like what is that like a weird sort of intimidation or and it was just there was that there was the general sort of crack from from various people the general impoliteness the snootiness yeah. i don't know i've had my rant so i'm I'm here to sort of get some <laughs> some clarity here what, what the fuck is wrong with skiing culture man yeah i mean it's it's not really my bag if i'm honest am i, I think, wrong though is do, am I, is does anything i've said like sound like i'm speaking out of turn not especially no <laughs> that's really bad i was hoping you were going to defend i it. think it, it kind of i be i mean it depends on where you are I mean, I can't speak to for the location you're in, but I mean, if you go to like the real like hoity-toity like Chamonix, Chamonix, I think that's the name of it, and like the real sort of like where the English go, I think it's even worse because then people are spending mad money on these really expensive luxury holidays. But where I have gone skiing a couple of times with my my wife's family in Gashuan. It's been quite nice. It's been quite relaxed. And there is that element of because you don't ski, like it, it looks and feels more dangerous than it might be. Like someone coming close to you, like they, they're probably in full control of what they're doing. But because you don't know that feeling on a personal level, like when I ski, there's always an element of like I could crash. Like I'm yeah. not in 100% yeah. control. But I'm not a skier. Like you see, the people who are like swoop, 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 elegant as fuck, like traveling like eighty kilometers an hour, just like like goats, like mountain goats on skis. I don't have that that sort of poise. But yeah, there is a sort of entitlement to the average skier, um, and it presents itself not only on the piece but also in sort of the apprechi culture and i don't know if you experienced that at all but like if you after skiing everyone just gets gets drunk in especially in austria like that involves loud schlager music like oh yeah it was some racially loud schlager music, loud music. So Nicky louder and all that stuff yeah, yeah. it's just it's awful like i absolutely hate that part of of german and austrian culture well, that was the, that was the other thing as well as like the music is is fucking awful it's like some of the worst mm. music <laughs> like and it's like you listen to it and you're like you could just we could write one of these songs and i think we could do quite well you just need like a ravey back beat yeah and then some awful lyrics about being on top of a mountain and and love and mine mine hurts is fall mit bergen or some <laughs> shit like that and well, i mean if you mention mountains and then balaman then you've got a, a real hit on your hands <laughs> it, it is it's yeah. trash and like i don't want to like really slander the culture because it is a big part of sort of national identity and it does go hand in hand with with the sport um 
but yeah i'd much rather just go somewhere quiet and have some drinks with my friends after skiing that seems more civilized where you can actually talk to each other mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to being bombarded by as you say quasi rave beats i can i can live with it i can there's worse that once you've once you've adjusted to schlager you kind of can live with it it depends how loud it is when it's yeah. too loud to have a conversation that i'm just like it feels like a sort of form of abuse there was three different things that i noticed there was the people who went down the sort of main slope which for me just and i say it to my wife that just looks so boring because and she was like well it's the speed that people enjoy but the two things that i thought i'd really i would learn to ski just to enjoy that there was like a ski route that took you through the trees and it was like Mm -hmm. downhill and i was like that looks like fun i could quite enjoy that element of like it's like skiing and hiking and I thought, that, that seems like a blast. And then there was a cross-country skiing that was fun. But what I really enjoyed was the, were the outfits. The outfits <laughs> were insane. And obviously, I, I, I realized quite early on, I was like, obviously, if you get trapped in like a um, somewhere where you get stuck on a mountain or there's an avalanche, you want bright clothing because people will see it. So that's why, partially why the clothing, which is why when I saw a guy in a brown jacket, I was like, you're dead. <laughs> bad happens you're done for like uh but it was like i like the sort of the sound of s- sort of style of it the sort of in- crazy colors and it's very interesting to watch people skiing when you've got loads of different like especially from right at the top these like really brightly colored like people going dead fast down a mountain and i was like that's quite fun to watch and like you said the the going to the bar bit was good and the food man like yeah, i had a curry verse that almost blew my mind like and it's <laughs> I, I love i love all that stuff i think there's a lot to admire i just think there was like a fucking stinking attitude on so many people i've never seen so many snarly angry looking people doing what i would have thought was their sort of hobby and again my wife was saying well if you earn a certain amount of money you probably only have one holiday a year and that holiday is going to be in the summer Whereas if you're holidaying in winter, you've probably got a bit of cash and it was noticeable by the sort of cars that were in the car yeah, park yeah. and things like that. Yeah. So maybe it's just the case that, I, like everything, I really hate rich people. But uh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that, that's not necessarily a bad instinct. Um, because, yeah, if you are looking to be treated with respect and yeah. those kinds of minimal things, uh, yeah, the ski crew aren't the best for that it's uh yeah. i say it's like in the fast lane of the autobahn we we stayed in a farine as well like a sports farine that um the like friends of ours uh, are connected with now that's the way to experience ski holidays because it was like a little ski lodge it was like a really small like sort of youth hostel that mm-hmm. was self-catering so the kitchen looked like an industrial kitchen okay all the rooms had like seven beds in them that kind of thing yeah but the best bit was the hard like pay as you drink so okay. that, uh, you went into this room and it was like they just had a fridge full of different beers the hard um little min- miniature schnapps bottles like everything just properly stocked and you just ticked off what you'd bought and i was like this is the only way to do it like i don't <laughs> think you could i couldn't stay in a hotel because this is just it was really nice putting logs on the fire and sort of sitting in a room and chatting and getting a bit a bit a bit pissed and I was like, yeah, I could totally deal with this part of the uh, the adventure. But may- maybe I just hate people. Maybe that could fine. be it. That could be it. <laughs> it's, it's an understandable position to have these days. <laughs> <laughs> people are the worst. Hold up. 
Servus, Damon and Aaron. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening. As we mentioned last week, we posted some of some links to various charities and donation sites for those fighting in Ukraine and those people who are fleeing Ukraine, refugees and various humanitarian causes in the show notes. And we will continue to do that for however long we have to. So please, if you have a moment, take a look at those. And if you have uh, some money to spare please do consider donating to one or other of those charities or those donation sites if you're enjoying the podcast uh, you can give us a rating on itunes you can give us a rating on spotify and i think you can also give us a rating on google podcasts please do that if you can it really does help us it helps us grow we've seen a lot of benefit from getting star ratings on spotify we've got more li- more listeners coming in and yeah it's a good way to support the show and it doesn't cost you anything it just takes you a couple of a couple of seconds of effort so please consider doing that if you can we've been reaching out to listeners to ask for your questions for us on a range of different topics germany based obviously so if you have a question for us please do reach out and you can do that by uh, getting us on twitter or instagram so you can as ever uh, send us feedback or one of your questions or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover by tweeting simon on at decades from home or you can tweet me at 40 percent german you can also get us on 40 percent german at gmail.com if you have time take a look at 40 percent german.com weekly articles are up every saturday what's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten mal tschüss